If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels. Bro, it's it's been a long time coming for this one in a number of ways. How so? It's, uh, well, uh, for starters, we're, we're bringing our boy back. What is this? The, what, is this the, is, what is this, the 10th time? Uh, I want to say fourth um, but maybe fifth, if you count the fact that we broke up the episode, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 this is, uh, our first time with him since, uh, uh, him tying the knot and leaving the country. So we've got a lot to cover. Yes. Yes. Uh, lot, lots on the table. And, uh, for, for the listener who hasn't quite figured it out, uh, we're, we're slow to write has graced his presence or, or the good old Sam say as, uh, his friends know him as, I should say. Welcome, welcome. Welcome back, Sam. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. So, what's it like being an American? Uh, being an American, I mean, it, it's so strange. People tell me, you know, people ask me that very question. And it feels weird because as much as I love America, I don't want to be an American. I want to be a Canadian still. Um, it's, it's weird. Uh, obviously, uh, Canada, you know, we have a lot of our problems. But yet, I love I love this country. I love Canada. So it's always like, oh man, I really am an American now. Or well, I guess not technically just yet. I I'm not I'm not yet a citizen, uh, I suppose, or you know, or even a permanent resident just yet uh, over here. But but it's it's good. I mean, it's it's strange. You know, COVID is really a non-issue for the majority of America, uh, which is very very strange. When I left Canada to come here, uh, I guess it's been like seven, almost seven months now, I think. Uh, it was like night and day uh, with the what was going on in the U.S. compared to Canada when it came to COVID. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying life uh, over here. Um, you know, I, I miss home a lot. I really miss, I miss you guys. I miss, I miss my family. I miss my old church. Um, so it's very bittersweet, you know. It's sweet, you know, to be here, but very bitter to be away from uh Canada and all my friends and loved ones. Mm-hmm. And and what about uh, married life? Oh, now there's nothing bittersweet about <laughs> marriage. Uh, <laughs> marriage, it's it's amazing. I, man, my, uh, my wife and I, we just uh, we just you know enjoyed. I, I made some steak tonight. You know, we try to you know I try to grill every <laughs> Friday night. You know, romance her a little bit. Um, try to you know we watch a movie, uh, just hang out and. I'm loving marriage. It's it's really nice. It's really nice to uh, have us really become unified in the way that marriage unifies a uh, a couple. Um, it's it's been great. You know, I mean, she's she's. I I'm seeing more and more day by day what it means to have a helper. She truly is my helper, and it's it's an honor. Um, so, yeah, we're 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 doing great. Marriage is amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm I'm happy for you, man. Um... It's been a long time coming. Annie, Annie's a lovely woman, man. Thank, thank you. I think I was saying to you earlier that I get all the hype now. You know, uh, I think off camera I was saying to you, I get all the hype about marriage. I knew marriage was great, you know, from everything the Bible says and everything that you know, other people like yourself have told me. But 
um, to really now be in a marriage, to be um, leading her and her help, you know, helping me, it's it's incredible. So I get all the hype. Yeah, 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 definitely. And of course, you know, um, and now now it's just a matter of uh, preserving, um, preserving what you have. Um, you know, you, I'm sure you you know you have friends and family who who, who whose marriages haven't made it. And so you kind of see those examples and you're going to be like, okay, you know what? I got to stay on my P's and Q's because, yeah, as, as my as my wife would say, um, you don't want to break your spouse, you know, because because, because, because once you break your spouse, um, they aren't what they once were. Right. You might still be together, but, you know, your, your, your wife won't be the same after you break her. So you got to make sure that, you know, you don't you don't break your wife. Yeah. No, that's helpful. I'm uh, I'm seeing day by day all the little things I need to do uh, to serve her well and to reassure her of my love. You know, it's it's uh, it's you know, she, she obviously she knows I love her. And but yet it's easy for me to neglect certain things. It's easy for me to not love her because, of course, love is just a feeling right? love is, you know, is choosing to serve someone, especially your wife in a in a um, uh, selfless and um, committed way and um, yeah I, I'm learning that I need to do a lot more in terms of loving her and uh, loving her as Christ loves um, his bride the church so yeah and you know I've seen my own my you know my parents well I didn't see my parents uh, you know my, my father um, left my family before I was born but just knowing how that impacted my mom how, how that deeply hurt my mom and how it hurt myself and my older brother and seeing other people that I know as well too who had bad marriages it's uh it's it really helps me to realize that I can't I can't slack off um not that we believe in divorce by any means but um unfortunately there've been people who who um you know do not believe in divorce and yet they've still divorced anyways right so I know that um you know if I don't love her and if I'm not leading her um to help us to represent what it means to be uh, in a committed, loving, godly relationship, um, that, um, you know, we could have some big problems in this marriage. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, uh, you know, marriage is, uh, an interesting thing because it's, it's, there's, there's an aspect of, you know, seasons to it, right? Like, you know, every, a lot of people, your first comments about marriage is great. I'm sure some people, our listeners are like, oh, he's in the honeymoon stage. Of course <laughs> he says that. Um, no, because, I mean, at the end of the day, marriage is work. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. You, you have to put in a lot of effort and yeah. obviously add kids to the mix. Yeah. You know, the, the responsibilities are, um, you know, yeah. endless to some extent. Yeah. What's... And, and what's Sorry, go ahead. Well, well, the great thing is I'm actually preparing um, to release a book on marriage um, in, a, in a couple of months. Um, oh, nice. So, I'm just joking, man. I'm not, oh. I was going to say, bro, you're aiming high, man. Man, please, you're man. For the please, please. I'm, no, I'm just mocking people who, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just mocking people who, are, you know, when they've been married for just six months. Uh, they think, you know, they're experts. Uh, before and my wife and I got married, we had all these young couples give us, give us uh, advice on marriage. And I'm like, okay. You know, but like, again, we're still very new into our marriage, but we're realizing a lot of what they told us, they had no idea what they were talking about. 
Right, because you know they're they're newlyweds, or yeah, the same way that my wife and I are. So no, I'm not giving anybody any marriage advice except for repeating what the Bible says. But no, there's no book coming. Yeah. I'm just teasing. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's good. Uh, uh, that's good. It's 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 good to aim high. Yeah. Well, well, Sam. Um, you know, some big news going on um, in your country uh, with Roe v. Wade. Which is which is which is also which is I don't know if you saw it as a victory for for your work uh, for for pro life being a pro life uh, advocate uh, for those of for those people who who aren't familiar with the overturning of Roe v Wade can you expound on that for us? Yeah, um, you know it's strange. I can't say that I saw it as a victory for myself. Um, you know, you know, you mentioned that this is, you know America is my country. Um, it's still, I'm still so new here. I mean, I guess it is now. Um, but, you know, when it was overturned, what, now, a month and a half ago, um, maybe now, um, it was surreal, but I saw it more as a victory for my colleagues in America. Uh, what I mean by that is that I was, I was and am involved in the pro-life movement in Canada. Um, I've been doing pro-life work in Canada since, uh, um, 2018, I think. Um, so, you know, and, and I mean, I guess naturally the pro-life movement is worldwide and we are all colleagues. So in a sense, I am part of the pro-life movement also in America. I mean, since I've been doing pro-life work in America anyways, uh, for a little while now, um, but I really saw it as a victory for my friends who've been fighting for decades. Uh, in fact, the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned, I was actually uh, you know, in the washroom preparing to um, head out for a, a talk I was going to do for a pro-life group uh, here in Ohio, there in Columbus, a group called Credit Equal, a great uh, Christian pro-life uh, organization. So, you know, here I was preparing to go to this pro-life talk and we hear this news. And uh, it was my wife who just, she just, you know, opened the door to the washroom and just showed me um, you know, a picture of uh, the headline that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and I was just screaming around the house, man. I, it was, yeah. I, my, my wife, um, you know, said that I was more excited uh, that day than I was for our wedding, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I married a godly pro-life woman because she wasn't, you know, mad about it. You know, she was very happy that I, I was happy that, um, you know babies now wouldn't be murdered but in terms of what roe v wade is really about a lot of people even still are are not familiar with what roe v wade is about um long story short roe v wade um was uh, made uh was um was ruled in in 1973 which basically gave the u.s government um authority well the u.s government claimed that not u.s government sorry the u.s supreme court claimed that um, that women in America had a constitutional right to um, to abortion, which which basically means they were claiming the Constitution of America, which doesn't mention abortion at all. They claim that it gave women the right to an abortion, which is not true, of course. Um, finally, after fifty years of fighting against abortion and trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. The pro-life movement in America succeeded, um, you know, by convincing lawmakers and the Republicans to make Roe v. Wade, you know, a big issue. And again, just, um, 
you know, um, I guess a month and a half ago, they finally succeeded. So what Roe v. Wade does now is it 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 um, it keeps um, the Supreme Court from being able to shut down individual states from passing their own abortion laws, whether pro-abortion or pro-life. The Supreme Court now cannot dictate what a law can, what a, what a states in America can do. So, for example, I'm now in Ohio, where Ohio has a heartbeat bill. This bill previously was really ter- deemed um, deemed unlawful by Roe v. Wade uh, when it was still uh, in effect. But now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, uh, Ohio can now. Um, uh, they were now able to make Roe v. Uh, make their heartbeat bill, which basically bans all abortion once a baby's heartbeat can be detected. And now that's become the law in Ohio. So Roe v. Wade basically gives states the power to pass their own pro-life or abortion bills. So in California, nothing has changed in California. Nothing has changed in a lot of the leftist um, pro-abortion states. But the states who are pro-life, they're now able to pass more um uh, you know, strong pro-life bills in their states. Okay, Sam. So to, to get into like the details of how this was overturned or more so why it was overturned, looking at the 13th and 14th Amendment, can you explain how that impacted the way the judges uh, reasoned, reasoned how to overturn Roe v. Wade? This guy, man. I don't know what the heck the 13th or 14th. Okay, well, let me read this. The 13th is the abolition of slavery. Um, If I can go into a little more detail. But the 14th is um, citizenship and rights of citizens. So um, I don't know if you want to go into those details. But why don't, uh, if if, uh, let's say the constitution of the u.s is uh, a little too much homework for you um what is your understanding of the rationale they gave um, um i mean i i read the um i read the um what's it called um the the opinions of the the justices i read the concurrence um i mean i guess in brief i just kind of skimmed through a lot of it um uh-huh. so i don't remember a lot of the details i i know they were addressing the the issue that the constitution as a whole does not give a woman a woman a right to an abortion um and then they also um addressed the the unconstitutional rulings of roe v wade itself and then of um of casey uh which was i think in that 92 93 um so which is basically casey versus planned parenthood um which is basically reaffirmed um, at least in the left, in, in the minds of the pro-abortion people, it reaffirmed a woman's right um, to an abortion, and so I read, I read, I read those parts, um, and I know that it seemed to me again the main the main argument was that the, the the U.S. Constitution does not give a woman a right to an abortion. So then the so then Roe v. Wade, which made that claim in their ruling, um, you know, should be overturned on that basis. Mm-hmm. I, and, and for me, I, I, when people ask me sort of my first take on it, I viewed the 10th Amendment as the basis. And the 10th Amendment basically says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. So, and, and I mean, 
I would say the Tenth Amendment has been probably the one of the most brutalized um, amendments because it's basically saying if the Constitution doesn't prescribe this is the role of the federal government, then it's not their role. It's left to the states or to the people. Um, and so for me, like I, I, I was always like, well, inherently, this isn't a federal government issue to begin with. It should have always been at the state level. Um, and so I think that's where, Sam, when you were describing, you know, this is what, or, or California's rules aren't changing. That is the way that I would have expected the Constitution to have handled it in the first place, or, or sorry, the, the Supreme Court to handle it because of the way the Constitution and the Tenth Amendment is written. Yeah, it's, um, again, as, as I've said, I'm, I'm not too uh, familiar with the legal aspect of this in terms of um, what it has to do with some of the amendments and, um, you know, in, in that way. But I do know that um, there are actually, there's actually some disagreements, of course, uh, within the pro-life movement in terms of whether this is, this is a federal issue or a state's issue. I think given where the Supreme Court stands right now, and frankly, given the the uh, the Constitution, going going uh, ending abortion or making abortion illegal um, through state by state is the better strategy. And yet, we also know that Congress um, does have a basis um, to, well, some would disagree, but Congress does have a basis to make this a federal issue by introducing a bill that would um, uh, make abortion a federal issue by banning abortion completely in the U.S. Uh, that would that would not work right now at all. Even Republicans, I'm sure, would not go for that. They want that to be a state issue right now. Uh, but going forward, uh, you know, addressing the abortion issue state by state is uh, what the pro-life movement has really right now no choice but to do. Mm-hmm. So then, in light of right states having their own. Um, their their own right to rule or their own sovereignty uh, to make the decision the the way they the states see see fit. Um, there's going to be some kind of um, unintended consequences, or um, from with people leaving the state, probably people even coming to a state. But um, I I know it's a little far 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 seeing down 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 the line. But what do you see? Um, foresee happening in light of uh, this policy and the intended or unintended consequences of it in terms of um, in terms of like how 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 will affect certain states or people like leaving states to go certain places where it's easier or um, people saying okay well no we're gonna support those states that 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 don't support um, pro-choice do you do you see that happening people relocating um, well, I think before I address that, I think, as I mentioned before, you're going to see you're already seeing so many uh, states, uh, most Republican states already have introduced strong pro-life bills already. And you also heard talks from um, Democratic or leftist or so-called blue states also talking about, um, you know, strengthening, uh, you know, their abortion laws. So where they want to expand so-called abortion rights in their states. So states like California or Washington or New York, for example, I think I've talked about wanting to do that. Um, so, you know, I mean, also here in, you know, in Ohio, we had a big, a, um, a big story about a 10-year-old girl who is sadly 
um, assaulted uh, by apparently her mother's uh, boyfriend, and she and you know since abortion is essentially legal uh, for the most part in Ohio now, she was taken to a Planned Parenthood in Indiana to have um, you know, the abortion. So uh, and of course I want to say this to the audience. Uh, obviously, you know, a ten-year-old being assaulted is a major, major problem. In the same way. Um, a preborn child being assaulted to death is also a, a major problem, and they're, and they're both wrong. Um, but I'm sure I'll probably talk about that maybe later on. But um, at least in terms of you know certain kinds of uh, laws and maybe exceptions. But um, I think one of the things you're going to see besides these Republican states or Democratic states having different uh, having different um, you know strategies and on the abortion issue. You are uh, going to see um, some states, uh, I mean, you already have organizations who've talked about, I mean, for example, Tesla, sadly, um, has talked about, you know, paying for people's abortions uh, if they want to travel out of state to have one. And I think you're going to have a lot of other states also having some kind of um, law that would give, uh, not maybe law, but certain certain policies that would, um, that would um, I guess, entice other other uh, people from across different states to go into their states so they can have an abortion as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say, I think, you know, it might take some time, but I do think, um, you know, and th- this term might, might sound bad to some people if you use the particular example of it, but I think this is an example of the balkanization of the U S and I actually think the balkanization not just in this issue. Sorry, it, sorry, Joel, what do you mean by balkanization? So um, balkanization is essentially what happened in, um, I want to I say it's Soviet Union, but I don't think it was Soviet Union. Um, it's the idea of becoming more independent. Now, the historical example, if you go look up, like when I say balkanization, what is it the referring Balkan, to? The Bolshevik Revolution. Yes, all this, the Balkan states basically breaking apart. Um Many of those states had, you know, horrific sort of governmental scenarios. So that's not the aspect I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that, you know, this is just one law, but but many um, sort of, let's say, many of the states becoming more self-sovereign allows them to have bad policies and allows us to perceive the consequences Right. When you have a uniformity of policies, it's very hard to delimitate what's the um, marginal consequence of a particular decision. And so while I agree with Sam that, you know, or, or sorry, I should say, well, I agree that some of the things Sam described are are bad and I would you know promote people going in a different direction um, or, or argue against doing such things. Um, I think the benefit if you want to use that word is that we can now perceive the consequences on a society uh, more uh, precisely and so what happens to the states that have a high rate of abortion versus the states that have no abortion how does that affect prosperity how does that affect family how does that affect a number of things that when it's really hard to identify when you don't have that uh, variation state by state. I think, um, you know, it's since I've since I've moved to the U.S., it's become I've become a lot more aware of what it really means when America is 
the United States, right? In that right, it is yeah. it is different states that are united based on their constitution, right? But outside of the constitution, they have their independence, they have their freedom, which is of course very different from Canada, where it is uh, you know we you know Ottawa essentially has complete power. Um, you know, I mean, provinces have some differences, but they don't really have independence the way the U.S. have. Um, so, you know, so with that, you know, for many things, um, you know, that, you know, that, that, that is one of the reasons why America is um, still the beacon of liberty, uh, because states really have a lot of freedom um, to do what they right. think is best. You know, and, and local governments are always better, generally anyways, than um, you know, being, you know, then people who are completely controlled by a federal uh, system. With that said, I think the debate is, uh, and this is something that I'm still trying to uh, study more, uh, well, the debate is whether the issue of life, especially for preborn babies, is a federal issue. Because, of course, the issue of life for people who are born is a federal issue in, in America. Uh, but, you know, I think the you know what people would address is that when the you know when the constitution talks about um, you know um, some of the basic human rights for for Americans can that extend to preborn babies as well and it's 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 a complex issue based on the constitution and uh, I think that's one where the pro life movement is really debating right now as to again when it comes to the in, internally the, the, most of the point is that. Um, going forward, this is a state's issue, a state's rights issue. Um, but I think increasingly you're going to see more and more debates over this going forward. Yeah, mm. I think uh, when, whenever we, we, we have these like major social events, um, it causes people, uh, it, it, it gives us, especially as Christians, a great platform to have, have these discussions that, that weren't there prior. So, you know, I'm sure Joel, I'm sure you, Sam and me, um, you know, people come and they ask me, they're asking me, Oh, you know, what's your take on Roe v. Wade? Um, and, and I think that's great. I, I, I think that's great that people are, are, um, asking questions and trying to have conversations and pick people's brain about it. Um, and, and I know, sorry, very yeah, quickly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't want to cut you off, but you made a point that I've been thinking about a lot. It's really, really good. That, yeah, yeah. You know. Okay, okay, okay. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I make good points. You can always interrupt for one of those. One of those. You know, the things about laws. Now, Roe v. Wade isn't a law, right? But in a sense, it was a law, right? In that, it was Supreme Court ruling, in some ways, um, you know, take effect as, in some ways, laws would. Um, but whenever you have laws being established in this way, especially. Uh, ones that just change the culture or have such a big impact on culture, they absolutely create conversations. And you know, I mentioned this because uh, you know we've said this before uh, many times since I've you know many times when I've been on your uh, on the show where we've talked about how in Canada we don't have a single law on abortion. And I was um, in a room with um, some influential people um, in America um, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the power of um, of these laws and there were some who were thinking that well you know these laws don't really aren't that impactful they're not really going to change perception on uh, uh change uh, perceptions on abortion in america and i said no 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 
Absolutely they are. Because anytime you have um, a law or a ruling being overturned or being uh, established, they will change um, the culture's views on these issues. And I explained that, look, I think one of the reasons why America is becoming increasingly pro-life over the last few years is because you've had laws, you've had incremental laws progressively chipping away at, um, at abortion, um, you know, abortion in, in, you know, throughout states in America, where in Canada, the pro-life movement is growing as well, but Canadians are still overwhelmingly pro-abortion. And I think the reason for that is because we've not had laws, right? We've not had laws that have created debates in our culture. In fact, you know, it's interesting that uh, when Roe v. Wade was, uh, when it was, you know, um, announced as being overturned, you had a lot of Canadians who, for the first time, were actually talking about this issue. The media was talking about it. Trudeau was talking about it. And I think it's actually, it wouldn't surprise me if it's made more Canadians more, if, it, if it's made Canadians more pro-life. Because when these laws are being talked about, we have the facts on our side. We have the truth on our side. And anytime people are having a debate about the truth and the lie, it always helps the truth. Because of course, it's a lot more difficult to debate against the truth than to debate against a lie. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. Uh, and I think one of the one of the key points that that bring about really great discussion is there's like a, a lot of assumptions that come in. They're like, oh, so what do you think? Isn't this? Isn't this this? Isn't this that? And I said, okay. Well, first of all, for me personally, the way I respond is like, I'm like okay. Well, first of all, let's slow down and let's take a step back. What is the preborn? That's just so we're clear. Just let's just so we're clear. What is the preborn? Right? Next question. What is a right? So we're on the same page. Third question. What is a woman? Let's clear let's 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 clarify those things first because there's just a lot of assuming going on. Um uh, and you know it's better, you know, I'd be slow to speak. Uh, you know, pun intended, mm -hmm. right? Um, and quick to listen. So I'm just like, okay, well, you tell me, what is a right? What is a human right? Right? What is the preborn? Right? Um, and what is um, what is a woman? And 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 those are great points to to have discussions where where it gets people to reevaluate some of their um, uh, presuppositions. Right. Because there was presuppositions there that that, like you said, haven't been addressed uh, when I was um, doing some research. Um, I was looking at uh, some pro-choice scholars on the issue of what is the reborn. Right. So mm. I, so I looked up uh, I can't remember wh whose work I was looking at, but but basically I was looking at what do pro-choice scholars scholars say um, the preborn is. So then um, I looked at uh, Camille Anna Peglia. Uh, she's an American feminist, academic, and social critic. So Peglia uh, has been a professor at the University of, of the Arts in Philadelphia. Uh, and so she says, it is not killing blobs of cells, but distinct individuals. Peter Singer, um, Australian moral philosopher, 
uh, currently the Ira W. D. Camp Professor of Bioethics at Princeton University. And he specializes in applied ethics and approaches um, ethical issues from a, a secular utilitarian perspective. And he says, we began at the moment of fertilization. And then the last person, Warren Hearn, um, and he's an American physician, uh, best known for his performing late term, term, uh, term abortions. Uh, so in 1973, he founded a Boulder Abortion Clinic in Boulder, Colorado. So that's the old, um, the, the biggest um, abortion clinic in the United States. And so uh, his book, Abortion Practice, is uh, the only single author medical um, textbook concerning abortion. So he wrote the textbook on how to do abortions. And he says, we can no longer hide our abortion. We can no longer hide abortion. It is an act of destruction. The sensations of dismemberment flow through the forceps like an electric current. Right? Wow. So we're looking at what the pro-choice Pro-choice, not, not pro-life. Pro-choice unbelievers say what the pre-born is. And these guys say it's life. Right? And so now for some people who are um, pro-choice and they're thinking like, okay, so how can they be pro-choice but say that it's pro-life? Well, that's an easy answer. They're postmodern. Mm. And what that means is that you can, you can separate values from facts. Like, yes, these are the facts, but my values say, well, it's okay to, to, take, to take a baby's life. And, 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 and those contradictories are, 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 are just fine. You can, you can have opposing values and facts. Right? So, 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 so these, these are the conversations we can have um, that can help people like, kind of peel back the layers of some of their presuppositions about this issue. Mm -hmm. That's a, um, a very good point, I think. A lot of us underestimate how um, how postmodernism has shaped our culture today, whether it is on race, abortion, gender, um, politics, every single, even within the church, um, postmodernism is the religion um, of our of our times today, and it's been that way many you know for a long time. Um, it. It evolves in different ways. Um, you know, it's it's not simply the Foucault or or Derrida or Lyotard um, type of postmodernism. It's evolved in many ways, but postmodernism um, really is. You know, you, earlier you mentioned you mentioned um, what is a woman, right? And that is just the same as saying what is the truth, right? Well, in the same way, um, pro-abortion uh, activists really say, well, what is a baby? What is a human? They know the same way they know what the truth is. They still say, what's the truth? The same way they know what a woman is. They still say, well, what is a woman? Well, in the same way, in the same way, they know what a baby is. They know as you've, as you've uh, very, um, you know, you, I, I love that you mentioned those three names, uh, especially Peter, Peter Singer, who is perhaps the most influential um, abortion um, activist or scholar today. Uh, you mentioned that, yeah, they all affirm that life begins uh, fertilization. It's scientific fact, right? You can track our human DNA, not through a sperm or not through an egg, but when the sperm and the egg fertilized, when we became cygote, that's when we became a unique, distinct human life. That is a scientific fact. 
they know that, but they don't like that. They don't want to accept that. So then they say, well, it's just a clump of cells. The same way they know what the truth is, but they say, well, the truth is offensive. Or they know what a woman is, but they say, well, anyone can be a woman. They know the truth, but they're lying about it because they rather suppress the truth and then embrace their lies. So for, I'm wondering your, your take on this. I, um, as an oversimplification, I know that, but I think that much of the abortion conversation fails to really recognize what this debate really is. In, in my opinion, I would say that this is a rights conflict and it's a matter, there, there's a dismissal of that principle by calling it a lump of cells because what the, what, and the way that I, the reason I classify it as like a rights conflict, because if I was sort of looking at the two sides, the, the pro-life side is looking at the rights of the child uh, or the preborn child and saying that rights begin at conception. Whereas, and so therefore you have the autonomy or the bodily autonomy of the woman, her rights somewhat in conflict with the rights of the child when the woman is, is choosing to have an abortion. Um, the, the, you know, pro-choice side would basically say, no, rights of a baby don't begin until birth and therefore dismissing the rights conflict as opposed to actually engaging with the debate of, okay, well, when do rights begin? And let's have a, you know, objective sort of facts-based conversation about, well, where, what's the real basis for that? Um, and so would you, I sort of, one, I would say, do you agree with that sort of, you know, I know it's a little bit more of the libertarian slash um, analytical side of me to put it that way. Um, but then I was also curious if you've uh, taken any of the content in from Carrie Baldwin, who's associated with the Christian Libertarians. Uh, and I think she's had some some really interesting takes um, slash means of ways to resolve this uh, debate um, it, that it's, that's really nuanced. Um, and so I'll, I'll definitely make sure to put those in the show notes page for, for the listener. But I'm curious your, your thoughts on that and if you've taken in any of her content. Yeah. As you know, I would describe myself also as a Christian libertarian or um, in some ways just a strong advocate for liberty and freedom uh, because I think, you know, there are different kinds of libertarians or some could say I'm just a, a very, very, very small government conservative, um, you know. Regardless, um, I've not. Um, I, I'm familiar with the name, but I'm. I, I don't think I've read uh, too much uh, from her, especially uh, on the abortion issue. Uh, but I would say I somewhat agree with you on your analysis of the conflict issue between the pro-abortion people and the pro-life people. The reason why I say I somewhat agree with you is that I think there is a conflict. There is a conflict of the issue of rights. But I think the conflict is not that both parties agree on, I'll say that, I don't think the conflict is that we have different views of rights. I think it's that one group believes in the, in the concept of rights, the other doesn't. So what I mean by that is that when pro-abortion people talk about rights, they don't really mean rights, at least in the true sense. They really mean in some kind of a hedonistic um, individualism. Now, I support individualism. 
but they really mean a a individualism in the sense that or a freedom to do whatever you please not freedom in the true sense not freedom to do what is right all right or freedom to not harm somebody else because historically and really logically true freedom all right means to be free to do anything that will not harm somebody else or to put it a different way true freedom means to have the freedom to do whatever you please so long as you are not stripping somebody else of their freedom but since they have a different view or since they don't they reject the issue of of human rights because they don't because if you reject uh if you reject what it really means to be human then you, you do not really then affirm human rights this is one of the things that we always ask people in the street when we are doing pro-life work we ask people do you believe in human rights and everyone will say yes but then as we ask them the you know what it really means then to be to believe in human rights it becomes very clear they don't really believe in human rights they simply believe in what they want to phrase as human rights which of course is going to be whatever they want right whatever they can do to harm somebody else thinking there shouldn't there shouldn't be consequences to that um so what i mean by that of course is that look human rights again is a right to do to do whatever you please so long as you not harm somebody else or or to human rights is your god-given rights the right to um the right to life the right to liberty or property or you know to to, to you um to um quote the u.s the question of independence the right to pursue happiness again so long as you are not harm, harming somebody else's right to these things so i think again there is a conflict there but i cannot say that because the issue of rights is of course tied to human rights and human rights is universal they don't believe in universal human rights they don't so i think that's the conflict that we have with between pro pro-life people and pro-abortion people you know i i think i agree um i think i would word it slightly differently but i think i agree in the way that i would word it is that they don't necessarily agree in the principle that they're arguing for when they try to make the rights argument they don't actually have a sound rights principle it's a rational argument that they've come up with um and i think you know let's use vaccine mandates as a simple counter example where that principle is thrown out because it doesn't fit the the agenda or the argument they're trying to the conclusion they want to argue for and so um i think you know you've hit the nail on the head that there's really a and that's sort of what i was saying that there's a rights conflict but that we don't actually have the proper debate about when do rights start and and i think your point is because they don't actually care about rights they don't value those things they don't see them as useful they just say well bodily autonomy that's my right you know um and because it's a an emotional argument because it sounds good as opposed to um principled and and structured exactly i think your usage of the word principled is crucial uh the pro-life uh you know pro-life movement is principled the pro-abortion people are very pragmatic right they they we are objective they are subjective we truly want human rights for all individuals they are pragmatic on what they claim is human rights based on their collectivism ideology right we want we want all individuals to to have human rights they want certain collective groups to have what they call rights but it's not really rights it's really the privilege to harm somebody else mm-hmm. 
by dismissing that it is someone else. Um, so I'm curious, how have you seen a change in your, you know, the Canadian pro-life work or the Canadian, you know, environment? Um, you know, obviously it's, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how much our listeners are familiar with this, but we definitely have a level of, um, let's say, trying to stamp out the, you know, charity status of pregnancy care centers because they don't affirm abortion. Um, and I would say the, you know, there's definitely, at least I've seen from my perspective, a little bit of ramping up of that with, with the Roe v. Wade versus being turned over, overturned. Um, I'm just curious from your end, what have you seen in the Canadian environment sort of changing or, or, uh, yeah, well, before, processing. yeah, before Roe v. Wade was overturned, Trudeau, uh, as you mentioned, for the last two or three years, I mean, even before that, he's really been threatening to make things worse for pro-life groups in Canada. Uh, you know about summer, you know, um, it's Canada summer jobs where he stripped. Yep. We had uh, an pro- episode on that. Yeah. Yes, I remember that exactly. Where he stripped, you know, um, you know, um, stripped funding uh, for pro-life groups. Um, we also, uh, you know, for the last few years he's been talking about penalizing and removing charitable status from um, pregnancy care centers and similar groups. So even before Roe v. Wade, he'd, he'd already wanted to do that. But of course, now with Roe v. Wade being overturned, he's even more, he's even more uh, eager to do that. And this is because he recognizes that the U.S. strategy of incrementalism, which has been a, you know, has been, you know, increasingly uh, being challenged by certain groups um, called abolitionists, especially in the in in, uh, in, uh, in the U.S., uh, incrementalism is working in terms of a step-by-step approach to chipping away at some of these um, you know, abortion laws in America. It's worked so that 50 years after Roe v. Wade uh, had been passed, or at least almost 50 years after it, it was um, it was ruled, um, it, it's now overturned. And I think Trudeau and a lot of left, a lot of um, liberals and leftist politicians like the NDP and the Green Party and other groups, they are concerned that uh, perhaps one day um, Canada will also, um, you know, end, um, end the abortion issue in Canada. Uh, now, of course, the abortion issue is not yet, um, has not yet completed in terms of making abortion illegal in America, but it's starting. This is the beginning of that happening. It's the beginning of the end for so-called abortion rights in the U.S. And in Canada, I think, um, you know, people like Trudeau are starting to see that it could very well happen very soon as well, too, in our country. Um, so I think on the other end, for the pro-life movement in Canada, we are very, very, uh, we've always been motivated, but I think we're even more motivated now because we're seeing that our prayers, our dreams can truly uh, come into fruition because America has been able to do it. So it's, it's really uh, energizing the pro-life movement in Canada to keep going. It's, it's leading to more people wanting to participate in the pro-life movement in Canada. A lot of people now want to volunteer. They want to, um, they want to support pro-life groups more because they're realizing mm-hmm. that huh, if it can truly be, uh, if Roe v. Wade can truly be overturned in America so that some states could basically completely ban abortion in their states, where right now in Ohio, theoretically, it's essentially impossible to get an abortion here so that you have to go out of state to get it, that a lot of people are becoming motivated even more than they were before in Canada to, um, to end abortion. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, you being on, on your platform and, 
interacting with a lot of Christians. Uh, have you ran into any Christians who are a bit on the fence or not for um, Roe v. Wade or, or, or for the overturning of it? Yeah, so I mentioned the abolitionist. Um, and for those who may not know, within the pro-life movement, as there is with any kind of movement, um, we, there are some disagreements. And people like myself would be called incrementalists, which, as I explained before, basically we believe that um, right now the best strategy to completely end abortion in America or Canada is to have a step-by-step or gradual approach to ending it. Now, we recognize that our goal is to completely and utterly ban abortion. We want to make, it, we want to make abortion completely illegal. But we know that that is not really a viable option, uh, not because we don't want it to be, but because we have opposition, right? We have, you know, uh, we have um, pro-abortion politicians who are completely against uh, banning abortion. Um, but you have also so-called conservative or pro-life politicians who might be more moderate on the issue. So we have to work with, in, in those parameters so that we can try to slowly chip away at abortion. And that's what's happening in America, where you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned is an incrementalist approach. But the issue is you have some other believers, including dear friends of mine, who are genuinely against abortion. But they believe it is immoral or unjust to introduce a bill that is incrementalist. So, for example, in Ohio, um, the pro-life the pro-life law right now is that um, it, it bans abortion after a baby's heart can be uh, detected. They say that's immoral because it says it's okay to have an abortion before the baby has a heartbeat. Um, Ohio, I believe also abortion, abortion is legal, supposedly, if it threatens the mother's life, which, by the way, um, uh, as in, sorry, let me, let me repeat that. They say that in Ohio, the law is that abortion is legal if the pregnancy threatens the, the mother's life. Now, there is absolutely, it's, it's impossible. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, abortion is never justified. Um, you know, it's never justifiable to kill a baby to save the mother's life. And this is not just me saying it. This is just a scientific community. Uh, there's something called the Dublin Declaration, which is signed by over a thousand medical professionals who say that it's never justifiable to kill a baby to save the mother's life. This is because generally, um, whenever a pregnancy is threatening to the mother's health or to the mother's life, it is usually in the late term uh, pregnancy when by that point, the baby is usually viable and you can just have emergency C-section which can save the baby and save the mom. So you never need to have an abortion to save the mother's life. Now, of course, there are also ectopic pregnancies, which happen very early in a pregnancy. Sorry, you said atopic? Ectopic. What's that? It's E-C-T-O-P-I-C. Basically, it is when, um, as, you know, as the embryo um, is developing, it ends up going through the woman's fallopian tube, right? And then as it's growing it starts to threaten the mother's health and it's the baby is yeah, yeah, it, you're saying, saying it, it basically instead of embedding in the uterus it's developing in the fallopian tube in the fallopian tube okay yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. which of course becomes dangerous for the mom because if that happens she will die 
Um, and um, so, so at that point, the baby is dying. Once the baby is no longer in the uterus, the baby is going to die, right? But then with that happening, the mother's life also becomes threatened. So a surgery to uh, a surgery or what they call ectopic pregnancy surgeries is not meant to kill the baby. It's simply meant to save the mom. And because the baby is way too young and isn't able to survive, the baby dies. But that's not an abortion. The, today, there are a lot of propaganda from the media and politicians claiming that's an abortion. It's not an abortion. An abortion is an intentional killing of a preborn baby. Ectopic pregnancies surgeries are not um, are not abortions. But with that being said, again, it's never justifiable to have an abortion. It's never necessary to have an abortion to save um, a, a mother's life. But with that being said, again, in Ohio, um, since frankly they're you know they, they are not fully convinced of, of the pro life the pro life movement's thinking on this issue, or frankly the science and the human rights of this issue, they've they have an exception so that if a woman's life is supposedly threatened by pregnancy, she can have an abortion. Um, now, we as a pro-life movement disagree with that, right? But yet we know right now that all of Ohio, even the Republicans, are not completely against abortion the way we are. And that was the compromise, right? So then we can, we can then slowly bring them towards our side. The abolitionists, they say, well, that is immoral because we've compromised. They say that it's better. It's, they say that the only bill they would support is a bill or a law that completely bans all abortion. They would not basically if um, if they were given the option of banning all abortion or or not banning any of them at all, they would choose to not ban any abortion. They would choose to have no law instead of um, a bill. That would, sorry, I didn't say I didn't say it properly. If they were given the option of banning some abortions instead of uh, and then or to leave all abortion legal, they would choose to leave all abortion legal. Uh, that is their thinking because they believe it is immoral. They think it's partiality. They think it's unfair. Uh, they think it's compromise. So that's an internal disagreement we have right now. So when you ask me about some Christians um, who are not happy with you being overturned, I can't say that some people are necessarily angry that it's been overturned. But they think it's a distraction. They believe that Roe v. Wade should never should have never been an issue. They believe that um, you know that we the pro life movement should have always been ignoring Roe v. Wade anyways and trying to ban abortion statewide completely. Now, also these abolitionists they also believe that they they would only support a bill that that not only uh, bans all abortion that but that also punishes women who have abortions. Now, what? this is controversial. <laughs> This is actually controversial, but yeah, I actually that's, agree that's with okay. that. We, we do that here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I agree that women who have abortions should be charged for murder. Um, it's not a Whoa. very... It's, <laughs> it's, not it's, a, a, it's a hot it's, take. It's a hot take. I, I, yo, I, I wasn't ready for that one. I never heard that before. But okay, yo, mm-hmm. keep, keep talking. Keep talking. It's not a very popular view, even within the pro-life movement. But the yeah. reality is, if we believe that killing a pre-born baby is the same as killing any baby or any person, person. then yeah. then if that's the case the, the consequences the punishment 
for doing so should be the same. And also biblically, the Bible does say a life for a life. And in, 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 now I'm not saying I believe the death penalty for... But the reality is that if you kill a life, and again, biblically, um, it's in, it's, uh, in God's law, it does say that people who have abortions, people who force, who kill the preborn baby, in ancient Israel, they would be punished for that. So um, I, I support that. Now, of course, just to be clear, um, there are some women, um, it's, it's some women who do get, um, who, are, who do get pressured and coerced into having an abortion. They should not, of right. course, be punished. Nor am I saying that people who've had abortions before should be punished now. I'm referring to when abortion is completely legal. So right now, for example, in Ohio, when abortion is, most abortions are essentially illegal. Anybody mm -hmm. who then has that abortion in Ohio, when it's illegal, should be punished by law. Now, like any kind of uh, murder, it could be third degree, second degree, first degree, depending on the case. But I do believe that. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is the abolitionists believe that it should be immediate. They believe that right now every anti-abortion bill from anti-abortion people should be completely banning abortion right away. If not, it's compromised or and not or and it should also punish women who have abortions as well. Not just women, too, of course, doc, so-called doctors or men who also participate in these abortions as well, too. They would say it should be punished as well, too. Now, again, I agree with that in principle, but I don't agree with them when it comes to how immediate it should be. They believe that these laws should be immediate and anybody, any Christian in their minds who support any kind of pro-life bill doesn't completely ban abortion and punish women, they believe is compromising and is guilty of partiality against preborn babies. Yeah, I would say I think, um, you know, the, the piece about the punishing the mother is um, definitely a hot take. Uh, I know a lot of people would take a different position and largely the position would be that the doctors are punished because an argument would be that they're the ones actually committing the act um, as a, and, and they're the ones um, who are, again, when you said, if it's truly illegal, uh, they would be the ones who are violating the law. Um, um, yeah. And, and that is the, that is the, um, that is the pro-life. That, that, that's the predominant view. That's a word I, I can't think right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That is the predominant view of the pro-life movement. What I will say to that is, um, you know, I understand. And I, again, I do agree that those people should be punished as well, too. But I think that it's inconsistent or it is um, it's it, it's not what we do when it comes to babies who are alive. Anybody who is who conspires with the person who actually kills a baby or anybody or any other person that person also receives charges for um, participating in killing that person, right? So I think that's how I would see it, right? So in the same way that if, if a mother chooses to pay off, um, pay off somebody else, an assassin, to kill their baby, uh, now, that, that may seem like strong words for some people, but really, abortionists are assassins. They get paid to kill people. Um, sadly, they get paid to kill babies. So uh, any mother that pays somebody else or any mother that benefits from somebody else um, paying um, their, you know, an assassin or an abortionist to kill their baby should be charged um, for, for murder. Now again, depending on the scenario, it could be first degree, second degree, or third degree. And it doesn't mean that we can't have compassion for these women. We should have compassion, but compassion without justice uh, is, is injustice. Mm. 
So I, I do want to go back to one thing because I think it ties back to, and maybe you had intended to touch this, but um, early on you mentioned about the 10-year-old that was raped. Um, and, you know, when you were mentioning that there are no abortions that would occur truly when the woman's life is at danger, um, you know, you essentially saying that it's sort of a category mistake to some extent. Uh, I'm curious what your thought is on, you know, the argument that, you know, a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old that's able to get pregnant, uh, but their body would be at risk for, you know, long-term harm would, or, or even, you know, let's say they're physically at risk because they're incapable of carrying the baby. Um, where, you know, wh- where does that fit into to the discussion? Uh, or was there something else with regards to that age that you did want to bring up, as you mentioned earlier? No, that was really it. Um... And I, I, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this because in America, especially for the pro-life states who are like, again, Ohio, who are um, starting to ban abortion completely. Um, but yet for now, they're leaving exceptions for incest and rape and, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, pregnancies that supposedly in their minds uh, threaten a mother's health or, or life. Um, the pro-life movement, and I'll say the Bible, um, is against is against that. We do not, of course, we do not want any child, um, a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, um, to suffer uh, incest. Uh, we don't want any child to be assaulted. But the key word is we don't want any child to be assaulted. Um, what we tend to forget when it comes to nine-year-olds who horrifically get assaulted is. If they have an abortion, if they are led to have an abortion, then there is a second child being assaulted. Um, except, um, as horrific as rape is, murder is even worse. So, uh, in, in the case of that ten-year-old girl in Ohio, it's truly heartbreaking to me. And I wrote an article about it because um, now this child has not only suffered the trauma of being assaulted, but now she suffered the trauma of her child being assaulted as well too and that's heartbreaking there are two people in this case there are two victims in this case it's the it's the child and her child now to the question about uh what about their bodies and um the 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 damages that they will suffer for that that's that's tough that's hard now when i say it's tough i don't mean it's tough that the answer is difficult the answer isn't difficult but the reality is difficult in the sense that it's horrific that a child will have to go through this. It's horrific that a child has been assaulted in the first place. Um, but the reality is, is that um, a nine-year-old, um, which is it's even talking about this is so difficult. Um, not again, not because I'm embarrassed about the answer necessarily. It's not that um, the Bible, you know, talks about you know addresses the issue of life, and all life matters, right? You know, every preborn baby's matter no matter no matter who their mother is no matter how young their mother is or no matter no matter how horrific their father is every child's life matters including a nine-year-old's or ten-year-old's life it's so difficult because i can't imagine a a nine-year-old having to suffer through uh pregnancy but the issue is the abortion is never justifiable see it, the the nine year old's body may not be able to carry the baby out full term, or perhaps the damages to her body 
um, as she's carrying the baby full term might be too much. But again, this is where there is C-section. The C-section, uh, you know, babies are viable roughly around 25 weeks. And by that point, you can have a C-section that will protect both of the children, that will protect the mother and protect the baby. So even for a nine-year-old or 10-year-old or young child who's been forced, um, you know, who's been attacked violently and who's now pregnant, um, the abortion will not solve anything. The abortion will simply create two assaults. But again, C-section can save both the mom's body and the baby's life. So, um, Sam, we're, I think uh, we're about time to, to maybe wrap this part of the issue up. Is uh, Before we do, I'm just curious, um, is there any other aspect of the, the current you know, dynamic or, or transition of things that, that we haven't touched that you think we should touch? Um, I think we've addressed a lot of it already in... Um, I can't think of anything right now except, I suppose, to say that, you know, it's been said many times already, um, but yet I think, you know, especially for, um, you know, Americans in that, you know, now that you have a lot of babies that will be born and will no longer be um, in danger of death because of um, Roe v. Wade being overturned, we're going to have the, you know, the crisis pregnancy centers um, being even more vital in protecting mm. these babies and helping their moms. So please be praying for the, the people who are volunteering, who are working to help moms and to save these babies because already they're even busier now and they're going to get even more busy. And that's a great thing. That We praise God for that. We want these people to be busy because it means they're helping moms and saving babies. And yet, of course... It means they need more support. They need more financial support. So be please, please be supporting um, these centers in Canada. Um, or there's groups like Choice for Two or the PCC, which is, again, short for the Pregnancy Care Center. Support them. Uh, look to groups also in America if you want to support them as well, especially. Please be praying for them. Please volunteer yourself if you can. Please, if you are a pastor, address this issue. You know, maybe, maybe what I can say is this. This will shock a lot of people, but... Uh, I wrote an, an, an article saying that Christians have abortions too, and uh, it surprised people. But this is a fact. Christians do have abortions. It's, it's sad. It's horrific. But what I say is this. If King David will, will want to hide his sin by killing another person after he, had sex, after, he, after he fornicated or had adultery, why wouldn't somebody else um, do the same thing as well too within the church? Abortions happen. Mm-hmm. I know people who've had abortions in the church in churches. So now, whether some people are genuine believers or not, the reality is people who profess Christ have abortions. There was a poll in uh, in, in America that revealed that thirty six percent of women who have abortions go to church at least once a month. Okay, then twenty percent of them, twenty percent of them, have abortions. Sorry. 20 um, of, of the women who have abortions, 20% of them go to church at least once a week. Again, at least once a week. That's 20%. So in America, a million babies have, sorry, a million women have abortions a year, at least before Roe v. Wade was overturned. A million. Well, that means then 20% of a million is 200,000 women. Therefore, 200,000 women who go to church at least once a week 
are killing their babies in America. In Canada, we don't have the exact data, but we know that it tends to be similar trend as well. So I please, please, if you are a pastor or if you are a church member, please address the issue of abortion in your church because you will save a baby. I've seen it myself. I, I, knew, I knew people who were in churches who had abortions. And unfortunately, it was before I could do anything about it. But if perhaps I was speaking out more, I would have been able to help these women and to save their babies. So please, please know this is, this is not an issue outside of the church. It's, a, it's an issue inside the church as well, too. So please address this issue. Mm. Yeah, um, being compassionate, um, like that saying, um, the, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. And... Um, yeah, just like with the abortion issue or um, the homosexual issue, um, trans, uh, transsexual, I think uh, Christians need to do a better job of being approachable hmm. um, about these things. Um, because I think, you know, you know this is 2022, man. Um, we, 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 can't, we can't sit here and say, oh, nobody in my circle has ever committed abortion. Nobody in my circle is gay or has a gay child. Nobody in my circle, you know, is struggling with trans, tr tr transsexual um, intuitions, right? Um, yeah, it, it, there should be a point where, where Christians should feel, or people within the church or people outside the church, that they, they should feel comfortable to come to a Christian and say, okay, yo, like, this is where I'm going through. Can we chop it up? Can we talk about it? Because I, I, I need some feedback or, or I, I need someone to listen. So yeah, you're right. Um, that's a good point, Sam. Mm -hmm. I, I agree and uh let, let me let me just tease this a little bit sam i'll get you to, to give the, the listeners where they can find you but before we do um we're gonna do a little uh post this episode uh extra change episode after watch style i got your tweet here better call saul is the best show on television <laughs> just brilliant so we'll get you to, to unpack that a little bit after we uh sign off here and uh the Listeners can check out Buy Me a Coffee if they want to hear that or uh, tell the Afterwatch to, to call Sam. Um, so to, for the listener, where, where can they reach you? Um, you know, what, what's the best way to, to get in contact with you or, and find your stuff? Yeah, yeah. If they want to reach out to me personally, they can email me at slowtoright at gmail.com. They can find me also on Facebook on, uh, at slowtoright.com and Facebook. They can also find me on um, Twitter, also at Slow to Write, and Instagram as well too. Same, same name, Slow to Write. And unfortunately, they're probably gonna find me on TikTok at some point too. Oh man! Oh, you're gonna be dancing? <laughs> you're gonna do African dances? No, man. If I do that, man, no, no, no. <laughs> if no, I, I, I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm gonna have to be on TikTok, man. That's where all the young people are, man. You know, if you want to reach the young That's people, true. you gotta be there. But I'm like, no, I don't want to do it, man. But anyway, um, but yeah, for now, they can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if they want to support me also on, on, you know, on Patreon as well, they can support me also at Slow to Write on Patreon as well. I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes page. Six cents makes change. But you heard me. Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media.